Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. This is Jake, beer maker, drinker, enthusiast, and kind of an anime fan on the side. And we are now halfway through the month of March in 2021, and things are kind of calming down, and things are finally starting to get warmer, birds are coming out, and the majority of spring is finally entering the picture. And to be fair, in terms of the news, not really much has been popping up over the past two weeks, where most of it has just been highlighting... Um, a handful of the new shows that we're going to be getting premieres at the beginning of April and what we're going to be looking forward to next season. Besides that, I mean, it's the tail end of the 2020 awards season, so a handful of manga and anime awards have been moved around and handed out inside of Japan. The majority of the award ceremonies inside of North America haven't necessarily taken place yet, but those are probably going to be on the way pretty soon. But regardless... Not a lot of major news has happened over the past two weeks. Like I said before, most of it is just kind of what's going to be coming as the onset of the spring 2021 anime season goes through. For me, not really... Well, never mind. I say not really much is going to be on my mind, but I mean, one of my favorite shoujo series is finally going to be getting its conclusion, Fruits Basket, starting on April 5th. And... I was having a conversation the other day in the sense that I thought I knew how many episodes this series was going to end on, and about five to six months back, there was an interview with one of the main English voice actors leading into the series saying that the total episode count was going to be sitting around 63, so 25 in the first season, 25 in the second season, and the third final season was going to be a, a one-core set of only 13 episodes. And I was kind of sifting around and a handful of people going through, which thankfully haven't spoiled me yet on essentially how the series was going to end, were really concerned in seeing how exactly it was going to conclude the entire series within 13 episodes. And so I was going back, doubling back on trying to f see where I saw the that 63 episode count pop up, and it was there. But about a month and a half later, a lesser... So a uh, lesser seen article also got posted up with the same voice actor in question basically going back on their statement and saying, hey, I was talking out of my ass. I don't really know what the final episode count is. So I'm really, it was just one of those days where I was having back-to-back -back interviews and there's not really much I can say about it. So I'm sorry if there was any miscommunication or confusion. And I mean, one, one uh, perspective on that would just be saying, hey, he was literally told to go out and say that just so they would actually be able to have a veil of secrecy and mystery so people wouldn't really know what ends because to be fair that's the only major and slightly official number that we've gotten for the episode count for this series so far but there hasn't been anything final and i mean the final banquet is going to begin with this series starting its conclusion on april but if this is the point in case that it is true and he was talking out of his ass and we really don't know what it's going to be, it's it's not really too broad of a difference because, I mean, it is going to be the final season, not like Attack on Titan final final, but this is going to be the final season of the anime. So it's not really too much of a difference. It's basically just going to be a difference of, is it going to be a 13 episode, one core finale, or is it going to be around 24, 25 episode, two core finale? So still don't have a definitive answer on that, but I'm really curious to see. I just want it to end in a satisfying and conclusive manner. And considering that I've heard nothing but positive things about the reception of the manga's conclusion, that is something I can at least look forward to with a little bit of hope. But regardless of that, moving closer 
and closer to the day that we actually get to see this film, like so many others that haven't been able to get a North American release yet, the final Evangelion film has already gone through a week of its run, and it was already able to sell 540,000 tickets on its first day, regardless of, and not even counting pre-orders at this point, and it already took home, you know, 8 million at the box office on day one. And as an anime film, that is definitely much higher than the norm, which is definitely nice to see. And it's kind of been funny seeing how Kara is just putting out a preemptive, like, warning where it's like, there people are still trying to do what the Japanese do and get illegal video cam rips from inside the theater because this is Evangelion. And this is its final movie, so of course everybody is going to be trying to get in on a piece of the action. I would imagine so many people in here who were promised that we were definitely going to, or we were supposed to get it, by the end of 2020. And because, you know, whole pandemic thing happened, it was just completely pushed onto the backlog, like a lot of other films that we have yet to see, like Violet Evergarden's uh, extra film, the third Heaven's Feel movie, which technically it did get a brief screening in the U.S., but in terms of uh, up here in Canada, the week that I was looking for tickets, they shut down all of the uh, movie theaters in B.C., and I'm like, thing, damn it, one of the only ones I was going for. And then there was also the Shiro Bako sequel film, so it's just, there's still so many things that I have to look forward to by the end of the year, which, considering how the vaccines have been pushed forward a bit more, so it'll be able to pass by like an extra six weeks or so, by the f fall, we should be able to have all of these theaters reopened, and I would love to actually see these, but considering that they already had a production line, and they already had an initial release, I'm really curious if, like, G-Kids or Eleven Arts are actually going to take the time, or the money, or the effort to get it into another screening inside Canada, which I really hope it does, but I won't hold my breath, and the Blu-rays are essentially going to be my only hope after that, so I'll just have to wait and see, but... And then a handful of the other uh, pieces of media that got awards out uh, down in Japan. You would essentially get the grand prize in the manga division. The March Comes Like a Lion. It's one of my favorite shows of all time and one of my favorite concurrent manga that I'm reading. All of this came down from the Win Media Arts Awards. And so from also pieces that got excellence awards, you had the Violet Evergarden movie. You also had um, Keep Your Hands Off, Hazekin. You had Golden Kamui. You had My Broken Mariko, one of the short films, and as it should, Keep Your Hands Off Azoken ended up getting the grand prize for the animation division. Incredibly happy to see that, because I cannot sing uh, the praises of this show enough, and I'm incredibly satisfied that they were actually able to keep moving forward and uh, have Masaki Yuasa uh, keep getting commended for his work. Which I'm really curious, because I know that he took a break from Science Saru, as in he's not going to be the lead director on a handful of the next project projects that are going to be coming out of the studio which which I, i'm like totally fine it's like man this dude needs a break he deserves a break and it, as long as he can like just um overview like a handful of the things that are going to be popping up over the next couple of years so he doesn't have to completely drag himself through the mud to try and get these productions out the door that's definitely you know i'm still satisfied with that but I'm really hoping within the next couple of years he'll be able to uh, come back uh, as strong as he ever was. Because, I mean, he left on Devilman Crybaby, Ride Your Wave, and Azoken. And it's like, dude, you're insane. <laughs> These are incredibly polished and just highly uh, qualified projects that you've been able to push out over the past five years. And he is easily one of my favorite directors. 
But outside of Japan, in terms of a handful of other things that I've been watching as of late, it's mostly been catching up on movies. And there were a few that essentially popped up over the past couple of weeks, like um, Ongaku, Our Sound, which ended up getting a handful of awards in Japan and also topped uh, the R Anime Awards as well. And it's something that popped up, uh, well, at least it came out in Japan in 2019 and then had a limited screening uh, through 2020. But it was just something that was completely out of nowhere. And especially with the art style, it looks way too simplistic and a little too comedic for anything, you know, uh, tangible or like anything emotional to come out of it. And I've heard like nothing but the opposite in terms of what it was able to do. And it is apparently worth every single award that it has been given over the past year and a half. So that's on my backlog. I'm also going to, like, re-watch the third um, Sound Euphonium film, which I did end up getting to see. I can't remember if it was uh, the end of 2019 or the beginning of 2020, but it was a odd experience considering that the film screening that was being played at my local theater said it was, okay, this is going to be the English subbed version, because I knew that inside of the release that they had, they had a dubbed and a subbed, and it's like, okay, I've watched the entire show subbed, and I love Tomio Kurosawa's rendition of Kumiko, so it's like, yeah, let's just go watch the sub. And they gave us the dub screening by mistake. And so it was awkward, to say the least, to go through. The quality of the film was still good enough, and the performance that takes place at the end of the movie was nothing short of stellar, but it was just really off-putting, I guess? Not being able to, like, recognize the same... Because it's like... The dub was good, but when I'm going into a, into a film with the intention of actually watching something in a specific way or in a specific language, it definitely takes away from part of the experience, especially when you're just listening to it in your own language, even though you've gotten used to uh, the Japanese dub over, like, the past couple of years, since I've been watching it since, like, damn, since the first season came out back in 2016. So it was just a little awkward. So I'm going to re-watch that um, over the next couple of days in its actual like, in the Japanese sub, and see if that kind of changes my perspective a bit on the movie. And then I guess also considering that it recently came out on Blu-ray, Ride Your Wave, as I guess we were talking about uh, Yuasa previously, I still really enjoyed the film. I missed the first 15 minutes of it because, uh, was I driving down... I can't remember if I was driving down from the mountain to go see it because I knew I was going to be staying in, in Vancouver for a handful of days, and I can't remember if it was just... I misread the timing and left way too late from the mountain, which is still more than an hour and a half's drive, and then to the theater, it w would have taken more than two hours. But then I just got hit by, like, there was an accident inside this city, I got hit by every single light and piece of traffic in there, and I ended up, uh, like, getting into the theater 15 minutes or so late, which, to be fair... Actually, no, it, it probably would have been like 20, 25 minutes late because you would think where it's just, okay, well, then that's fine because then with all of the uh, promo stuff and all of the advertisements that go in front of the movie, you'd think I'd kind of be fine, which I wasn't considering that this is a limited release. There are still advertisements and stuff related to the project that are actually going to be producing and showing, but it's so few and far in between. The only way that they could spread it out a bit more, which would have been if they had an interview with the director or the producer, which is what a lot of what G-Kids does, 
in a handful of the things that they decide to produce and distribute over in the West. But I don't think they did. They definitely had one after the after the film, which I ended up to stay and watch. But I just, like, missed the first... I'm pretty sure it would, like I missed the first 10 to 15 minutes of the film. And even though I absolutely loved it in the end, that, like, there was a lot of stuff that happened in the beginning that would have, like, given a hand... Another handful of context leading into, like, the mid-parts of the story. But it was like, yeah, I don't know. And then to top it all off, it's like, man, you want to you wanna talk about a shit day? <laughs> like, I... Because I also had to... Because I was late, I was a little bit hangry because I had to miss dinner since I had to leave so early from the mountain. And then on top of everything else, um, my battery didn't turn off in my car. So after I got out of the theater, like, my battery was dead and it was shot. And so I'm thinking, well, fuck, like, how exactly am I supposed to go? Luckily, I was able to flag down one of the guys that was coming in the parking lot. It's like, look, dude, brand stranger, I apologize. I really need to use your car because <laughs> I've got I've got jumper cables in my trunk, but I really need your help so I can jumpstart my car. Like, please and thank you. And then so they were able to give me some help, which was nice. And then I had like a very weak Subway sandwich after that. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm definitely rambling on a bit considering just how vividly unfortunate this night was. And I've got an even worse story leading into like what my like, what exactly... <laughs> I went out with a buddy to watch uh, the dub of Promare. It would have been this, my second time seeing Promare, but I hadn't seen it dubbed. And that night went so much more poorly than this one, but I think I'm just going to save that story and ramblings for another time. Because the one that I essentially wanted to talk about today, in terms of the films that I caught up on, was a handful of months ago, I ended up seeing um, a movie on Apple TV called Wolfwalker. Not, I, I didn't watch it, but it was just something that really caught my eye, and the trailer was, like, really immersive and stylized, and pretty much, and I was really curious to see, like, where, where it was based, and who made it, and how exactly it's been going through, and I guess the majority of what the rest of the podcast I'm going to talk about is the Animation Studio Cartoon Saloon, and these guys are based out of Kilkenny, Ireland, of all places, and these guys... They were established in 99, didn't really enter a full production until 2005, since they were doing a handful of, like, co-productions and short films until then. And then finally in 2009, they had their first solo production film, which was The Secret of Kells. And Kells ended up getting nominated for Best Animated Feature that year at the Oscars. And so far, and I wouldn't be surprised if Wolfwalkers did as well, which means all four films that Cartoon Saloon has been going to put out... All four of them are going to get nominated for um, Academy Awards in terms of Best Animated Feature, which is honestly fantastic because there's not really many other studios that you see, uh, like, outside of Pixar, DreamWorks, Disney, just any, it's just one, just one thing that always comes outside of Japan to go through, because, I mean... Opening up an entire other can of worms would definitely just be getting into the Academy and how the best animated uh, feature is basically levied out and who gets in and who doesn't and how, like, how the majority of the fucking people inside the Academy where it's like, what is my one job? Your one job is to watch all six of these films within a week and just vote on it. And it's like, nah, dude, I, I, my kids saw these two, so I'll just vote for those two if my votes. And it's like, you motherfuckers. If you're being paid that much to, like, have... To watch a fucking movie, just watch the fucking movie, dude. Like, seriously. There's a reason why the fucking Academy Awards has been losing viewership for the past decade or so. But getting back to more positive notes, that's basically what I jumped into over the past two weeks, which is watching a handful of 
uh, short films through Cartoon Saloon, but as of recently, watching all four of their major films uh, that have been put out over, let's see, if Kells was put out in 09, and Wolfwalkers was 10. So, yeah, they they put out a, a film on average every three years or so. So I guess we'll, I would like to start with Secret of Kells first, because I do remember seeing the face of it, like, in video stores and it being nominated, like, watching the Academy Awards way back when I was 14, and seeing it get nominated, and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. And kind of just going back and forth and seeing a different style of animation that I haven't, that I hadn't, you know, experienced yet, and then realizing that it was kind of the same deal. And I would always see the, uh, I would always see Cartoon Saloon's name pop up every so odd years with Kells, and then Song of the Sea, The Breadwinner, and then now Wolfwalkers. But Secret of Kells... It's a good opener for their portfolio as their first, like, major solo production. And even though they had done, like, short films a number of years ago, like, this is the first, like, full hour-plus production that they had essentially done on their own. And I really enjoyed the aesthetic. What what Cartoon Saloon does interestingly better than a lot of others is that it has a very um, children's storybook aesthetic. And it's what it's able to convey in a 2D space with a lot of these, like with a lot of long-standing structures and forests and castles and rivers and oceans and everything related to this very, very flat aesthetic. But it's able to convey so much more than you would honestly think. And I did like, essentially what Cartoon Saloon does best with all four of their films is aesthetic and sound design. Well, I guess sound design, and then three is uh, their scores and their compos- and their compositions and their music, because it's always the thing that I take away from the most in terms of all this. Because I really love the folk acoustic, the winds, whenever it's involved in any of the adventures that all the characters go on, or when they're like roaming around through these very distilled villages and ruins, and all the music sets the tone very well, and how it's able to portray because everybody in the Secret of Kells, except for this one entity that the boy has to fight. They're all human. And in terms of this, I will be spoiling major events for all four of these films. Kells, Song of the Sea, Breadwinner, and Wolfwalkers. So just keep that in mind if you actually want to jump into any of these and just kind of see where it takes you. But I would still recommend watching these films. And that's like, at the end of the day, there are some that I like more than others, and some that I felt kind of lacked in some departments, but I still recommend, like, giving, like, any of these a watch, depending on what you're kind of looking for. And Secret of Kells was kind of just the most underwhelming of all of them, considering that you're mostly focusing on this one orphaned boy whose only family is his uncle, who is the head of this small town who knows... That in the time of the Norsemen, they will all come and ransack and raid and destroy every village that they come by. And so they've been building a circular wall to try and make sure that none of them, that the gates will hold, the walls will hold, and when the Norsemen come, they will try and they will fail and they will leave. And it doesn't, which definitely goes through. But the Book of Kells, or just the book that is protected throughout this entire movie, is definitely one of the shining points, especially with the aesthetic that, that it's able to portray and draw. And I think it's a common theme with all of these films 
that moving forward is that probably my least favorite characters are the the parental figures, which in this case are just the father figures. And you're going to figure out very quickly, like in all of these, the father figure either, like the only one which is definitely thematically relevant, the only one where like the main character does not have a mother that is prevalent for the majority of the film is the breadwinner. And every other one, it's just like a single father, basically. And and I guess, and, and I definitely understand where the majority of it comes from Irish lore and how a lot of their folktales go, but it's like, dude, give us a happy family, for Christ's sake. <laughs> like, every single one of these movies is just like, the majority of these films are like a single father, and they lost their mother at some point, and they're really, really holding tight to the one piece of family that they have left, and it's like, I understand that, but couldn't you just be, couldn't we just, like, have a family, and the family wants to protect each other? Like, goddamn. And I do like how... I think I liked The Secret of Kells more in the latter half than the first half because it's just a lot of setup and a lot of talking and you get to see, you get to experience the aesthetic for the first part, but then it finally, all these films finally definitely start coming into play when the page turn happens and in The Secret of Kells, it's like we get to meet a shirk or in this case, just a, or a fairy of the forest and what they're able to attribute to the story while giving the main character somebody else to essentially hang out and bond with is definitely, like, giving a sense of wonder to all of these stories. And that's probably one of my favorite parts about the majority of these films, is that they were able to transform you, or not transform you, bring you into this enchanted world that is all through myths and lore, but all that are true and all that are essentially giving the stories that they have and what they're told magic. But, yeah, it's just... The majority of these characters are fine. It's always just the one, and it's mostly the father, because the it's always the the lone father where you understand it's like the the wife is gone or the family is gone, the brother is gone, and you're the only piece I have left. So could you please just do what you're told and like stay in a room and never come out of it? Which is just understandable, but it's like very stressful and toxic behavior where it's just the only way I can save my child. It, it, which, uh, I know, uh, like, I'm really going back and forth on a lot of my ideas here, because all of these are in times, well, yeah, only one of these films aren't in Times of War, which we'll get to in a bit. So at least with Secret of Kells and Breadwinner and Wolfwalkers, you can definitely understand why they would want to just take all their young children and throw them in a cage until they're old enough to finally be able to survive in this world. But it's just never really a good method of giving them any sort of characterization other than... I don't want to lose you, so I will hold on to you as tight as I possibly can and throw you in a cage other and throw you in a cage otherwise because at least in the cage you'll be safe. And it's just I yeah. Never really thought too much about that. And this so normally in the and in the second half of Secret of Kells, you know, the invasion happens anyways, like everything goes wrong, but the book is saved and uh Brendan is able to like move forward and, you know, still interact with the Sherks and still uh, pass his own trials and still spread the word and history that is held inside the Book of Kells, which was, and what he's able to draw, like, by the end of the film is just beautiful. And even though I would still say I like The Secret of Kells least, that's definitely not a mark on its quality at all. But leading into the next one, Song of the Sea is just definitely, like, what do I have, like, it's the most what is it? it I, I guess it's the most familiar story in, in terms of, like, what it was to me, and it definitely mirrors a lot of what... Because it is it is essentially 
mom die mom dies in the beginning and it's a single father uh, living on an island and trying to like work through except this time it's two children and one's the older brother probably sitting around 10 and the younger daughter who's sitting around uh what was her birthday i think her birthday was six so so never mind call it nine and six or even a little more because he was pretty old when she was born so yeah call it 11 and 12 and 6 but that's really beside the point and so a lot of it is just hey i hate you like you're taking you know what is it which was definitely (laughs) i don't know yeah that's definitely just a mark on me where it's just oh my god you're taking away my parents you know affection and time and which is which is just a very familiar to anybody who normally had a sibling and it was just kind of like you're shifting their perspective towards you and not me and i'm a child and i'm a little shitter and why can't everything go my way? And it's like, no, dude, you have to learn to grow up. And luckily he does. Because I do think, eh, no, nah, it's it's still the same deal. Song of the Sea is just, it had the same problems with Kells, where the majority of the first third to half of the film is all set up. And then you finally get to interact with the fairies and the magic and the, wonder, and the wondrous uh, pieces of this uh, new world that our characters inhabit and discover. And that's when things finally, like, start, like, picking up and... You're actually able to have a lot more fun because not only because they're actually growing on each other and, you know, the big brother has to like actually pull himself up and it's like, dude, we get it. We, we understand that you like you didn't really have much. Your father was very depressed and he didn't have much time for you when he was caring for your new sister. But now you actually have to step up and realize you are a bigger brother now and you have to protect her in ways that she cannot. You are going to be the one that has to move her forward and you're the only one in her most trying time of need, you are the only one who can save her. And of course he does get help, especially from the spirits that his mother was able to bestow upon him, but it's still, you know, it's it still does take him a while. But, it, but near the end of the movie, it's definitely, you're glad that this family is able to reconcile and pull themselves together in, you know, in trial, through trials and tribulation and through their own experiences and their own perspective, they're able to help the people around them and essentially end, I don't know what, decades worth of, not not decades, because these are like long, long, long lost, uh, long lost tales, but it's actually, but they were actually able to pull through with a incredibly wholesome and a magnanimous, like, ending song. Like, as I've said, as I said before, I really enjoy the aesthetic and the sound design and all the folkish influence that essentially goes through a lot of these films, but the song that they're able to play at the end, the studio really goes back to its roots whenever the majority of the, of the band's and the folk singers and everybody plays around and the bardic the bardic influences pave through and as soon as the melodies go gaelic like that's when that's when i'm all on board like i just really love the sound tune and what it adds to the scene that it's able to accompany by and it's always like the major um like falling action climactic uh scene that goes through and it's always at the highest climax of the series, so it really adds to that in more ways than one. So I definitely enjoy it whenever they embrace their roots and really push forward with the productions that they really want to like bring home and keep and keep down. But yeah, I did like Song of the Sea a tad more than A Secret of Kells. Maybe I guess it was just like the relatability between the the two characters that we're going through and yeah it's kind of going through but i would say the toughest one to rank would definitely be the breadwinner which i think is still in the top two 
but it comes from a different place, a different culture, a different religious set of rules and stakes. Because this film, under the main character's perspective, she is living in Kabul under the Taliban's Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. You, There is no time in any part of this movie to feel comfortable. Like, there is... It is hard, it is hardcore, religious, and xenophobic, and sexist obstruction, and chains, and depression. And it's just the fact that, and then it's kind of the same deal, but the only difference here is that this is like the only film where, for at least part of it, you have a full family, until the father gets taken away because of, because of just the way, because it, it, it's entirely uncomfortable, and I'm not, and that's kind of the whole deal where I just do not understand the majority of religion and how basically the majority of its impact on the world from my eyes has been more negative than positive and just seeing it in such a small part of the world and how horrific and trying it does like and what it's and what it does to its own citizens and its own people and like this is supposed to be the way that they live and this is supposed to be the way that they move forward with their lives and how they're supposed to like take it day to day and it's just christ yeah because I'm trying to think, like, there is not there is not really a single time in this movie that you are able to feel satisfaction or feel any form of, not happiness, but I just, I guess positivity. Like, there's, there's a rare, there are rarely any points in positivity because you know, even if there are, even if there are dreams and goals of these characters, you know that because of the state that they're in and where they were born, you know that it's essentially they go for their dreams or they die. Like, that's it. There is not really much that they can do. Or they just live in an, a life just bound bound by their own culture, bound by their religion, bound by chains. But I really... But I did really love the drive of our main character, Parvana, because she is the breadwinner. She is, in this time, risking her life to just put food on the table for her family now that their father is just gone. He's been thrown away in prison at the behest of a very irrational and rambunctious, just not, an, I wouldn't even call him a teen, I would just call him a boy. He is technically a teenager, and he was the one that essentially gave the order, but it's just because of how he was brought up inside of his own culture that it's just, it is bullshit. Yeah, it is bullshit, but that's how their culture goes. And regardless of how fucking stupid it is, if you if you decide to revolt or say anything negative against them, you either whipped or you get killed, so... It's it's just fucking horrific over there. And the majority of this movie is just her trying to move through the day-to-day, not showing her identity, not not getting killed in the process. And it is and I guess we do get our one not really an insert character, but essentially one of the only characters in the film that has empathy. One of the only men in this movie that has empathy. And it's because his own wife died which you would think, okay, well, the majority of this film has been showing that women are just property and they're only married off for goods and services and have children. But this one man is... who keeps it all inside because he knows the world that he lives in, and you know that he his when his wife passed, he, gr- he was grieving, and you knew he loved her. And even though he doesn't figure out that Parvana is a girl until the end... Like, even in the very, even at the very time that he has to decide on his choice that could potentially get him killed, 
he still just waves it off and it's like, yeah, no, all of this is bullshit. This is, none of this is worth it. Nothing in this world is worth this amount of bloodshed and death and destruction. It's just not. But then, of course, everybody else around him has been, you know, hard dread and raked through the coals and forced to embrace these ideologies and, and these religious practices that there's nothing they can do about it. And it's incredibly tragic. But I still think out of all uh, all four of these films, the final 15 minutes of The Breadwinner are probably like my f is my favorite piece of their entire catalog because it's the majority of this film goes around Parvana in that she is a storyteller because her father was a teacher and her mother was a writer and the act of telling stories is a way to not only keep uh, memories riddled throughout history in view, but to also tell stories and to learn lessons and essentially push people forward inside to expand their own perspectives. And the realization that because she used to have a brother, but the brother is no longer there, she now has a younger brother, but the realization of what happened to her brother inside a chaotic climax, to put it lightly, and the fact that the only thing that she can hold on to in this timing trial and time of need are the stories that she has been able to create and pass down and talk between her family is what ends up like mentally strengthening her. And through the help that she was able to give the one man who had any shred of empathy inside of this movie, she is able to get her father back. And her all of her family is alive. And I do enjoy, not enjoy, I just appreciate the fact that at the end of the day, they are thrown into essentially the same spot that they were at the beginning of the movie, but it's still going to take so much work to even get back to that point, just to stay safe and to stay alive inside the times that they were going through. But you know it's possible because all of her family is there. She is able to because of what the women in the family are able to go um, move through and accomplish, they are able to reunite in the end. So, overall, it's definitely, yeah, it, it's, because uh, uh, of course I wasn't expecting, like, a happy-go-lucky story in the middle of Afghanistan, but it's still, what it's able to accomplish and what hope it gives at the end of the film is nothing short of, of spectacular on what it's able to accomplish. And then moving on to something, eh, well, that's just a little more, you know, uh, at home, would definitely be the most recent one that's been coming up, uh, which I just recently watched called The Wolfwalkers. And this is probably their strongest aesthetic film to date, like their strongest design, the colors, the forest, even the grungy gray village that um, our characters still have to inhabit is still like filled with, you know, energy and life and just movement that you know that even though it's a foreign land that our main characters have been thrust into, it is still one that they're able to thrive based on what they were able to train with and how they're able to move on. And it's definitely, I would say, the strongest overall film of it, but it's still, like, very close to... It's very close to Breadwinner. It's still very close to Song of the Sea. Like, it's... it Like, they're all very similar in quality, which is fine because they have the consistency, but they still haven't hit, like a great film something that is not really up there to propel their name into the annals of you know animation of the world so it's and i guess the the basic rundown here is that all right we are in northern ireland but it is through 
the lens of the British occupation that it has essentially been moving through the northern parts of the UK um, back at around the time inside of 1650. And so even though Robin and her father, Goodfellow, which is still single parent, don't like, the mother is just, yeah, I promise to keep your mother safe. It's like, okay, your mother died. And it's just, yo, does every, every character has to lose either like one parent? It's like, can we not have, <laughs> can we just straight up have a family that undergoes a trial together? Like the, well, I guess, I guess like breadwinner, but it's like all of the major ones that are held inside the UK are all just kind of like, all right, mom's dead. Looks like we're just going to have to work from that from now on. And so Robin and Will are both British but they are inside an occupied Irish town and they are tasked to essentially exterminate the wolves from the forest so they can move forward with chopping down the trees and moving through the crops and actually being able to, you know, make a, like, expand into more territory. But then we meet, you know, one of the younger wolf walkers and her mother, but her mother is vanished, so uh, they have to move forward and try and figure out, like, where she is and figure out a way to not only save those inside the town, but save the wolves themselves. And in this exchange, Robin, at some point, uh, gets bitten by Mare, and she turns into a wolfwalker as well. And, yeah, probably the strongest emotional beats came in the last 15 minutes of, uh, The Breadwinner, but the strongest aesthetic pieces of are, like, almost all in this film. Whenever they go into, you know, wolf vision, or how a wolf is able to sense everything around them without even having their eyes open through the land, through the sound, through the streams, through the wind, through the scent, it's like, it's like a crayon or pencil crayon-esque aesthetic, but it, it looks gorgeous. It is amazing whenever they shift to that kind of perspective, and it is quite the amazing sight to behold. I would say it's kind of the same deal where it's just, except her father, uh, Goodfellow, is probably, like, my least favorite father figure inside of all these films because it's just, look, I get it, your wife is gone, but it's, like, it's so ridiculous how at the end of the movie it's just, I want you to be safe, I'm scared, and I don't want you to be locked up in a cage, and it's like, dude, so that's been your entire, like, driving force this entire time, but you want her to stay at home, you want her, to, you don't want her to go outside, you don't want her to leave the walls, if you want her to work, instead of actually, like, like, doing something out around the farms that you know she's good at and you know that she's been able to fend for herself, you legitimately just, all right, I'm going to throw you into the cage of our home and then I'm going to throw you into the cage of the dreary. And that is it. <laughs> it's just, I don't want to see your life living in a cage. And it's like, yeah, no, I am lit. And it's just, it was so awkward to have that kind of conversation between him and his daughter, like, after so many events had gone through, where it's just kind of like, I'm literally doing these things so you don't have to get wrapped down, and which is understandable because this is the 1600s, and women were definitely not treated to the same degree as men were, and that's, like, as a huge fucking understatement, but it's just kind of like, I don't want you to live into a cage, and then before, like, it only takes, like, Robin, like, two seconds to say, but father, I am in a cage, and then for me, it's like, I think I paused before that moment happened. It's like, what do you, what do you think she's been doing this entire, you've been, what do you think she's been forced into this entire movie? Like, holy fuck, dude. Uh, and then because it was so funny at that midpoint where it's Sean Bean and he is tasked with, all right, 
put down the beast, kill the wolf, and it's like, oh fuck, we're gonna have Sean Bean killing another innocent wolf inside this bin, but then it's just, oh, nope, don't worry, Robin, freeze the wolf, they're all good, and they're having this very, like, calming and heartfelt, uh, re, uh, not being reunited, but reunion, that's it. <laughs> they're having this really heartfelt and touching reunion now that all the wolves are saved, the mother's been, uh, the mother's been, like, taken away. Like, Robin was riding the wolf of her own will out of the town, and he wasn't angry at the men who shot at her, he wasn't angry at the pikesmen who were trying to stab his own daughter. No, he sees his daughter, like, happily embracing a girl inside the forest, and his first instinct is to just, nah, I'm gonna shoot the wolf that's, I'm gonna shoot the wolf that my daughter rode out on and engaged with, and it's like, Sean Bean, you were this close, and now you are literally going to have to suffer your own consequences because you essentially almost killed your daughter, and it's just, oh man, no, it's mostly, ugh, outside of the breadwinner, like, all of the father's in these movies are like my least favorite characters. All the parents that are still alive are just kind of like, man, you really, I understand that you want to protect your children, but it's also like, man, you really just don't want them to do anything in their lives, do you? But yeah, by the end of it, the, yeah, the essential fight against the Lord Protector in the end was like really cool and jumping around. And now Sean, and then Sean Bean ends up becoming the thing that he that he swore to protect but fail, that he becomes a wolf walker himself, which was, like, really cool. And it's like, yo, dude, Sean Bean's about to... <laughs> Sean Bean is gonna pop out of his collar and he's gonna become a wolf. It's like, fuck yeah, dude. That's exactly what we were waiting for. And then it's kind of like one of the oddest, like, happily ever after stories, because it's just, yeah, I don't really know, like, what essentially happened to the town. It's just that they kind of rode off, which was definitely understandable. And it's going to be a really awkward relationship between him and the other mother, where it's just kind of like, huh, remember when I literally fucking shot you in the heart with an arrow and almost killed you, and almost, like, was the genesis of having your forest burned down? Yeah, no, I'm sorry about that. So, I definitely understand that he, I, I would say even though he used to have a wife and he used to love her, and he still does, like, it would kind of be his duty or his new... Uh, his new purpose, and it's just, alright, in turn, for shooting you in the heart, and without the power of your daughter, I would have essentially killed you, and my daughter in of itself, I will live to make not only my daughter happy, but you happy as well, it's just, alright, that is your new duty, it is a much better duty that you were given at the beginning of the film, so I can at least give you that, but yeah, it's kind of like been the first time in a while that I decided to jump out to a different part of the world for animation. I mean, ever since I didn't really have too much because I knew that between Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks that they would always have one good movie every two years or so that I'd be able to jump back into and really enjoy. Coco was that one for me three, four years ago, I think. And then the year after we had uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, and if you want to talk about a, revitaliz a revitalization of Sony Pictures Animation, you go from the Emoji Movie to Spider-Verse. Insane. So I'm real. So they're already working on Spider-Verse 2, which I really, I really can't wait to see that. I, I would expect, what, probably 22, 23 will be the year that that finally makes its appearance. But yeah, no, it's something to look forward to, I guess. And there's definitely going to be a lot more movies coming out by the end of 2021, 
And once the films decide to try again up in Canada, if we are able to give it, you know, a chance and make their return of an investment worthwhile, that's honestly going to be something to behold. But you know what? It's looking good now that things are moving forward, turning a new leaf. And all these films that we've been able to just lay inside of our dorms and inside of our homes for the past, uh, you know, year or so, we'll finally be able to re-experience that kind of magic inside of a theater again with more people than you can count. So, you know what? Every now and then, it's good to have that kind of option. And I also can't wait to experience it again. (music) 